Hey, it's Greg. Thanks for checking out the Toronto Today podcast. For today, it's June 28th of the year 2022 on a Tuesday and a short work week for many people. We address the relationship. I don't know how complicated it is, but it's got some between Doug Ford and John Tory. I'd rather they talked than didn't talk. I'd rather they collaborated than didn't collaborate. So this is promising. And I think with how it started and where it was going, even pre-COVID, And it felt like it was kind of frosty. It felt like there was still some tension there. They ran. They ended up running against each other for mayor in 2014, quite obviously. But I thought it was real intriguing. And I'll uh, I'll give you some of why I thought that, why it's good for us, given all we're facing right now. And we addressed the terrible tragedy that happened in Bancroft, Ontario, last Thursday. This is a rarity. You always hear about these stories, but a lot of them are close calls. And sadly, this one wasn't in Bancroft with a 23-month-old losing his life. This coming to light uh, yesterday in the afternoon from late last week uh, when we can remember how hot it was um, and a a 23-month-old toddler uh, in a locked car and unable to get out while his mom was at her high school teaching. Terrible. Not just for small community, but terrible period. So we address some of that and speak to that town's mayor about how that community can somehow grieve and take steps forward at the same time. Lighter stuff as well on the show. We hope you enjoy it. Toronto Today begins now. Let me start here. Um, Sometimes I think it's important to acquiesce. Do you know what that means? Webster's defines acquiesce as accept something reluctantly, but without protest. For example, Sarah acquiesced in the decision. You give something to get something, okay? Even if it's reluctant. And I think we see that right now with the uh, maybe reluctant bedfellows that the premier of the province is, along with the mayor of the biggest city in the province and obviously the biggest city in the country. Toronto is the economic engine of Ontario. A lot of people don't like to hear that across the province. A lot of people don't like to hear that across the country. We know sometimes Toronto kind of, takes their slings and takes their arrows. And sometimes we deserve it, okay? Sometimes I think we've got to have the self-awareness to understand, either as individuals or as a a huge collective of, in essence, four or five million people who live within such a small geographical area. That doesn't happen very elsewhere in Canada. Sure, there's notable cities. Ottawa, Montreal is a shrinking city, really shrinking English population. Do you remember growing up in Montreal and Toronto? Kind of stood as 1A and 1B. You might make the case that at a point in time, Montreal was the most diverse, prominent, economically important city. You could make that, but this is years ago. This is a half century ago. Toronto really matters to Ontario. So why it mattered yesterday that there was a Ford-Tory meeting and why it matters that these two are on the page is pretty significant. They got together during COVID, okay? COVID kind of brought a lot of people together and we found common ground with some and found we were diametrically opposed to others on certain things. Some of that's about the personal issues with the two men. You see somebody and they're a bit of a rival. This happens, by the way, in this business. You're like, hey, I think I have a better show than that guy. I I think our show is superior to this person. But you meet the person and you're just people at the end of the day. Athletes are like that. Some people are never quite understand why there's a big hug after. You should hate that person. You know, you you should hate that person if you're a, a movie star. Why is he being friends with another movie star? Well, they understand that there's some common ground between the two, and they find it at a certain point in time. Some of this, though, is the power the province holds over municipalities. 
And John Tory's well aware, well aware because he was obviously running for premier at some point in time during his political career. Okay, guy's done a lot. CFL, radio, uh, and obviously provincial and municipal politics, where he's probably going to waltz to a third term. We don't even know who's going to finish second. I don't have a clue who will be second on the ballot, who his main competitor will be. By the way, we've got phenomenal audio uh, from Doug Ford and John Tory when Doug Ford had to step in for his ailing brother and run for mayor back when Tory ran for mayor in 2014. I'm going to play you that in a little bit. But we've got a changing circumstance here where we need, I do and you do, need both men to be on the same page here. We need that. Here's a report quoted from the CMHC and it's referenced in the Toronto Sun. And some of this is just about living in Toronto, where it's harder to do than ever. I saw a stat yesterday that the average rent in Toronto, rent, is $2,400 a month. That's more than the two mortgage payments I make for, I think, a decent house in the suburbs that we were lucky enough to purchase back in 2009. Okay, But that's more than I pay to put equity into something. And uh, and and have, you know, you're able to make changes to it and renovations and you can do this and do that. And you've got space and you've got what I would call security. OK, um, it's harder than ever to think about that. It's harder than ever to have your investment protected, but also to get going on said investment. The report from the CMHC says around 2003, 2004, an average household would have had to devote close to 40 percent of their disposable income to buy an average home in Ontario. 2021, so we're talking 17 years later, that household has to devote close to 60% of their incomes to housing. Half was almost a guy. If you were pushing half your income going to housing, people might say you're stretched too thin. How do we modify your budget here? Somebody would sit down, a financial advisor, somebody at a bank, somebody at an investment firm and say it's, it's way too high a percentage. And that's if you're tickling 50. 60 is outrageous. And why will it go down? in the next six months to a year. So restoring affordability levels in these provinces is everything. And John Tory and Doug Ford need to be on the same page with it. I'm going to come back to that cost thing in a sec. Ford also made the point, and it's something I think people want to hear John Tory say in these terms a little bit more. I do think this. Doug Ford talked about violence, and he talked about guns, and he talked about, I know we had a bunch of overnight shootings in Hamilton, but every morning you could wake up and we could find a story about shootings. There was a bizarre, brazen one in Oshawa. Uh, last week, I think it was Friday night. And even out in Durham region, you might think oh, Oshawa is a bit of a tough town, but not that tough, not that tough that there's, you know, five people shot at a bar. Uh, Doug Ford said this about people not wanting violence in their midst. People want to live in safe communities. They don't want to be walking outside worrying if there's going to be gunshots singing over their, their head. We've put over $200 million uh, directly to uh, guns and gangs and other areas to the, the city. Uh, I know it's always a, a challenge in, in policing right across the, the country, across North America. It's a, it's a challenge. Uh, I've always said when we catch these people that are uh, committing heinous crimes with guns and shooting up neighborhoods, uh, we need to have tough uh, prison terms for them. I think we want to hear the mayor say that more often. I think he thinks that and feels that. And I think he's like I said, he's got the political wherewithal. He can step out onto that walkway a little bit. He can sort of walk that plank carefully without someone pushing him over the edge because who's going to do it? 
Are you running for mayor? Am I running for mayor? No. Could we beat John Tory? Also no. So I think John Tory could be a little more out there about it. By the way, I thought it really interesting. I watched a good chunk of their news conference yesterday and the liberals handgun ban was barely mentioned because I think people just shrug their shoulders and go, it was meant to capitalize on the Uvalde, Texas tragedy. And it's really not going to do much to make you feel safe or me feel safe in communities that are that are wrought with violence. But this is the ability of Doug Ford and you don't have to love him, but you have to admit this about him. He's found a way to walk the line, to make more friends than enemies post-COVID. I haven't loved everything he's done, and I won't ever love everything he's done. I think you're pretty compromised if you're like, this politician's fantastic and they never make a mistake. That's not who I am, and that's probably not who you are because you're listening to this show. But he did say, we talked about that acquiesce word earlier on, that there's now a bond and a relationship with John Tory that may not have been there before. He's been such an important, important, uh, you know, uh, role model and mentor uh you know if there's there's a tough question i'll pick up the phone and call meritori has a lot of experience and i just appreciate his leadership and he's the type of mayor that uh we we can work with we can work with everyone but he's been an exceptional uh, partner and i'm very very grateful no matter if it's uh the the largest subway expansion that the mayor played a critical role in 30 billion dollar investment or even childcare, as we're working through that, and especially the, the pandemic. Yeah, the pandemic. You know I like to deal with data as opposed to emotion. I like to look at numbers rather than to, to you know put somebody that's just going to scare you on, that's got an agenda to do just that. So that said about COVID, we'd get frustrated. We'd have to count to not just 10, but maybe 50 and be like, why isn't the mayor saying more about it? Why doesn't he question what the province is doing? He's in a hard spot to do that. Sure, I wish he'd been more vocal. Sure, I wish Dr. Eileen Davila had uh, seen the light on certain issues that that she eventually did see months earlier. Of course, that's the case. We were all starting to get vaccinated a year ago at this time. But Tory makes the point that there's a role to play here. Tory makes the point there's a role to play. And he makes the point as well with this premier that there's a relationship that it didn't break. It didn't sh- it. It didn't get shattered. It didn't fracture over COVID-19 policy. And that has not been the case in every province. Look at Alberta. Look at Alberta and what happened as a result. Here's the mayor of Toronto. The things we discussed today, um, intergovernmental finance, housing, uh, mental health, and a number of other things are things that are key to making the city successful, which I think in turn will make uh, the province and the uh, country successful. Look, Toronto drives the engine of the province and drives the engine of the country, as I mentioned. Everything gets impacted by how Toronto is. When we sneeze, everybody catches cold. You don't have to like it. I didn't make this rule. I'm just telling you what the rule is. That's an important thing to do sometimes. And affordability, when I list that 60% going to housing, that's less of a percentage and less raw dollars that goes to everything else. The money that you need for your car payments, your food, your clothes, going out to dinner, because actually that matters, and socializing, kids going to college, all of it. And right now there's families that can't even fathom the idea of a trip right now. Can't fathom getting on an airplane. Not because Pearson's a nightmare, but just because they can't. Okay, you ever get a little punchy? You get a little punchy, get tired or uh, a little uh, irritable? This sounds like that. And I forgot. I forgot just how much of a high percentage. I want to give her credit. The 2014 mayoral election, Olivia Chow got 23.15%. Doug Ford got 33.73%. John Tory became the mayor of Toronto 
on the election of October 28th. But two weeks before, they had a debate, and they started talking about the TTC. Nobody's at a lectern. They're all sitting at a table, and honestly, it looks like like a fraternity is is electing a president. It gets a little raucous here. Here's how it sounded. I ride the we subway actually, every day. Do you? When was the last time in, you rode the subway? We actually put in... If you got lost, you might get five, on the subway. Maybe. Five, Maybe if you got lost. We put $500 million into the TTC. And you can't buy tokens with a debit card or a credit card. And also, I also voted against the Presto. You have to have experience. Do you actually have a token on you? I don't yeah, have me? a token okay, on yeah. oh, yeah. I don't have a token I, I, I on do. I take TDC all the time. I took yeah. the subway this morning. Olivia, did you? I'll lend you one. That's good. The reason, the reason he took a subway is Please chauffeur sit. was on vacation and his limousine was being fixed. That's the problem. Every day, Doug, you'd only go on the subway if you got lost. Listen Every to the bell ringing. It. It's like a... Candidate. My God, it's like a boxing. But we need Althea Raj from the Ontario debate earlier, if we can, Gord. Nobody can understand you when you're all talking at the same time. My God. And that also involved Doug Ford. Bizarre stuff. Thank God that never happens on this show. And, and nobody rings a bell, really. There's a traffic sounder that tells me to be quiet, I think. You can't even describe it. You can't even talk about it and put it into proper words. But it's, it's part of what we do to uh, attempt to. And uh, again, I'm super conscious and I mentioned it a few times to say I know how you feel I know exactly what you're going through I don't I can't relate to um, what's happening in in with these uh, two parents the young uh, brother of of the uh, deceased little beautiful boy and I can't relate to what our next guest could be going through he's the mayor of uh, the town of Bancroft Paul Jenkins Paul I can't thank you enough for making the time I saw you on television yesterday and your grief was obvious. I'm so sorry for you, the family, the community. And uh, we were just saying how Bancroft is such a fun place to be and people go up there, um, you know, and and uh, and it's all meant to be uh, a great time while, while learning life lessons. And today must feel like um, the continuation of a nightmare that started yesterday afternoon. Thank you, Greg. Actually, it started uh, last Thursday when the, uh, when the event happened. Um, and you're correct. It is a beautiful town. It is a beautiful area. And it is uh, an incident that's really shocked the whole area. Um, everybody's reeling from this. This is something that happens somewhere else. It doesn't happen here. When the when the reaction was like last Thursday, again, with the with the heat that we were dealing with, um, it, it, it's why, why did it it took a long time, obviously, for. The, the family wanted to keep this uh, this tragedy private, and it was difficult, uh, again, for you to, to talk about in the immediate aftermath. What were those first couple days like? Well, you know, disbelief. You know, how could this happen? Um, you know, I, I know the family well. They're a beautiful family. Um, very, their life centered around their kids. They work hard. They're involved in the community, et cetera. So, you know, all the things go through your mind, um, you know, how things like this happen. And, and we know they happen. Uh, we, we hear mm -hmm. about them. We see about them. You know, they're now designing cars with sensors uh, to alert you that there are things in the backseat when you go to leave, uh, you know, et cetera. So uh, probably a symptom of um, the life that so many people lead today, which uh, is super busy and uh, very stressful. You you gave special praise to um, some students at North Hastings High School where um, where where the mother works. Um, what did 
what did the students attempt to do? What were they um, attempting um, to do? And, and when was that first, uh, when were they first made aware that they might have a, a, a potential life-saving situation um, with, with that car? Actually, it was staff members. Okay. And I wasn't at the scene, so I can't say exactly, but it's from what I've been told that, uh, you know, school had let out for the day, uh, the discovery was made. And they took very quick action to to try to revive uh, the young boy, but were um, unsuccessful. And you can imagine the trauma, you know, that they would be facing as well uh, at this point in time, because they obviously they uh, they knew their fellow teacher. Uh, she was well liked and respected. So this would have a big impact on all those uh, at the school as well. Paul Jenkins is our guest, Bancroft Mayor on Toronto today with Greg Brady. You have a relationship and you had a relationship with the boy and, and his brother as a babysitter, which is rather remarkable. We see politicians visit uh, communities sometimes, whether it's the, the U.S. president or they're the prime minister, and um, they don't have they, they try and create that emotional touch point. You already had one that existed. What what was it like and how, how did that develop? Well, I say we, we moved here 30 years ago. Um, uh, the grand the grandparents, uh, um, you know, was he was the local uh, dentist, dental surgeon. So we got to know them very well over time. They had kids. We had kids. Our kids grew up with their kids, and their kids went on to have children. Uh, mm-hmm. Everett, the young boy here, and uh, Everett was born in the COVID era. You know, when uh, they were trying to, everybody was trying to be careful. But of course, some life had to go on. And so uh, we did uh, volunteer. We had babysat his older brother as well, because sometimes difficult to, uh, uh, you know, to get care that, uh, you know, you're comfortable with. So we had babysat uh, both of them, you know, when the need arisen. And uh, yeah, so we did know them, know them very well. And they were, uh, they were a couple of beautiful little boys. And uh, I say just a, a very tragic event. You you lead a community, a smaller community. What? How many people in Bancroft? A thirty one hundred, thirty five at the most. How many people live in Bancroft? The actual town is thirty nine hundred, but we're okay. a hub. We possess all the services here, so we service a much larger area um, outside of just our actual urban boundaries. So uh, there's a lot of people that know a lot of people. You know, not just within the thirty nine hundred people here, but in the surrounding area as well. I know we say, and it, it, it because you can't just say nothing, and we say, of course, there are no words to comfort, there are no words to comprehend um, the accident that it was, the grief that that exists now. But four and a half days later, how is the community of Bancroft coping compared to over the weekend, compared to Friday? Is there? I don't want to use the proverbial expression "light at the end of the tunnel," but is there? any of that feeling in the community that um you know many pe- many people greg have gone through uh, death and grief etc and it's a process as, mm. uh, as everybody knows and um you, you know you of course have the immediate shock and then you realize there's a job to be done that uh you know these folks uh, have to get through this uh they've got another little boy uh, eventually they're going to have to get back um, with their lives or as are other people as well and you you will never forget um, but you, you just do the best that you can and the outpouring of support, you know, it's, it's not easy for some people to approach, uh, uh, you know, the parents when something like this happens, but people have been doing that. And I think that's been, um, a great help to them. And hopefully that will continue just to keep contact with them. Um, the police have a job to do here. Is there, is there a pending investigation? I know it's not a process you can be involved in. 
Is there a pending investigation and are police working on figuring out some of the still some of the where's and why's of this? I only know what I've uh, read on the news feeds as well, that, uh, you know, the OPPF comment that, that, you know, in in conjunction with the coroner's office, that the investigation is still ongoing. Uh, What that means, uh, how it will transpire, you know, you're correct. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I have no actual input or inside information on that. So, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, the situation is recognized for what it is. Mayor Jenkins, thank you so much for spending uh, some time giving us some context and uh, and and taking us there. Um, I, I, I admired w- what you had to do yesterday um, and uh, and speaking from the heart. It's 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 all we can do sometimes is just just try and, you know, express emotions and make it OK for others to express them. Thank you very much for the time today. Thank you, Greg. Appreciate your time. There's a uh, Bancroft mayor, Paul Jenkins, who's a close family friend. He's known this family three decades and uh, little 23-month-old Everett Smith died last Thursday. Um, multiple attempts to revive him. Teachers tried to, I would assume, and I'm making an assumption here that I think is a fair assumption. That, uh, there's too much I don't want to assume about the circumstances around it. Um, but they, to me, they must have tried to break into the car at North Hastings High School. But we played that clip earlier in Texas. It happened seven days ago in Texas of a five-year-old in his own family driveway. And either the mom assumes he gets out or assumes that, uh, you know, he's or just just forgets that he's there because she's rushing inside to plan uh, a birthday party. And I'm seeing it on Twitter. I'm seeing it via text. There's a lot of people. How could this happen? Why? I don't know. I don't have an answer. I don't have any good answer. There are some things that are just unanswerable. And how do you define what neglect is? And what's the punishment for neglect? And I know there's people say this mom and this family will suffer enough. Can you imagine a five-year-old understanding that he doesn't have a brother anymore? And now the mom, the person that gave birth to you, the person that walks you through every moment of life at a young age. Okay. We were saying earlier, like (laughs) I get to take, I get the honest to God privilege of taking my 14-year-old to Canada's Wonderland today. Uh, Thursday, I'm uh, I'm a little bit of a crier and a uh, little bit of misting up. Thursday, watching him graduate, thinking of the last two years, thinking of what he wasn't able to do, thinking of all that everybody's gone through and just being so lucky that you get to a certain point in time. And I've even talked to parents who even have kids graduate from university and they're basically like, I won. They got there. That's all that's all you want is to get them there. And sometimes I even think about my parents and I think, why don't they check in with me more? Why don't they want to make sure I'm okay? How do they know I'm I went to England when I was 24 years old in the summer for five weeks. Like my kid is eight years away from that. But I can't, I check in with them. And this is before, you know, you could text and are you what's what are you doing? Are you in the right place? All that stuff. And I I'm I'm letting go even of that right now. But I can't fathom for the life of me how this could happen and yet i've had enough parents say oh it could and it doesn't mean that there aren't going to be legal ramifications here and it doesn't mean that there shouldn't be i don't have an easy answer for this and again you're supposed to get on the air have an opinion be opinionated be interesting do all that stuff i don't know where i land here if you pin me down and said hey greg would you charge this person with a crime would you charge this person person with Uh, some form of negligence or some form of manslaughter. 
I don't have an answer for you right now. I just know that the authorities have to consider all of those aspects. And we gave you precedent-setting cases in the law just in the last couple of years where it's happened and where there hasn't been harm to the child. But you put that child in a dangerous enough situation that police deemed it necessary to charge, not to send a message, not for something punitive, but simply because the law ends up being the law at a certain point in time. Uh, Shiva Siddiqui joins me right now. You saw a story about moving, and I instantly, a light bulb went off in my head, and I related to it, because when I see moving companies and wild scam, I've never had a huge problem, but I do have a story. But tell us about this TPS moving scam story. Okay, so there is a scam going on. Actually, there, there. this has been happening you know, over the years a little bit, but now it's more prevalent than ever. So a moving company, usually you find if you're moving, you, you know, you want to get a good deal. So people will go online, they'll go to, you know, uh, Facebook Marketplace or Kijiji or whatever, and they'll find a moving company, they'll hire them. Uh, moving company will show up, make them sign a bunch of papers. And obviously, you don't read the fine print, right? Mm. Um, so you know, there's never there's usually never a total at the bottom. It's just an estimate of what's what it's going to cost. They pack up your entire life, everything in your home or apartment, uh, load it into this huge truck, and then they tell you they'll meet you at the next location. Uh, halfway there, you get a phone call, and the moving company says, "We're not delivering your stuff until you send us, you know, a few more, th- like three to five thousand dollars more." And people's people are feeling like their hands are tied. At first, they don't take it seriously, and then they say the moving company will say, well, "You're never going to see your stuff again." Um, and so a lot of people, they, they don't know what to do. So oftentimes they pay people, go to the police. Here's what TPS had to say about this. They get them with the, the low prices. And then unfortunately, once they've got the blinds on the truck and when the truck's back in motion is when uh, they get a call saying now they owe thousands of dollars more than they originally expected, which uh, some victims aren't unfortunately able to pay. They're all over Ontario, uh, Quebec, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia. The personal effects are in there, uh, heirlooms from family members that have long passed, uh, just things that you can't replace. So this is pretty, it's pretty awful. And 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 there's nine companies. It's amazing because there's nine companies listed as, as moving companies. And it's like, they just started running out of names near the end. All you can move right on track moving. (laughs) Oh, Canada movers. Like there's a whole bunch of examples of like, what should we name our 10th shell company that scams people? Right. It's really awful, especially moving is so stressful as it is. I mean, I hate moving. When's the last time you did a large move? Uh, this is four years ago. Four. Oh, my yes. God. See, we did. Almost, four, not even four years ago. We did our third. Well, we had to do a couple in, in quick succession because we I rented a house in at the end, at the start of 08, just as we were having Finley, our youngest son, and, uh, and my wife hadn't moved up here yet. So we had the baby in London. It's a long story. But I was already working up here. And then. And then we moved into our house in 09. I never want to do it again. I never want. And, and you and I will get to the point where you're moving kids. And that won't be as stressful as moving your whole house. You're moving them into apartments. Yes. You're going to have to know. That'll you know, be fun. Yeah, get yeah, out. yeah. You, but, yeah. Give them give them the old ratty furniture you don't want anymore. And they'll be like, really? I get this. Like my kids see leather couches by the road. And they're like, pick that up. I want that in my room. I'm like, there's no room. But I love this story. Really quick. The, there's two 30-year-olds that got charged. But I'm a big fan of the third offender. The blog TO story says a 27-year-old woman named Amethyst Jones is now also yeah. wanted. That's a name you would use if you were like Gord pranking like somebody ordering pizza. Or Who's the pizza for? Um, uh, Amethyst Jones. That doesn't sound like a real name. name. A stripper. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you said it. <laughs> so my, I don't have a story, um, but I, 
I remember getting this company and we didn't know who was going to help us move in, in 2009 when we moved. And we were really only moving um, across our rental house to the house we live in now. But it was a Friday afternoon, hot day in August. We were moving in. Empty house becomes a full house. But then the movers at the end of the day, and this might be like 430 in the afternoon, are like, oh, you're paying cash. And it was like $900, $950. And I don't have that kind of cash. Uh, what am I, John Oakley? I don't have that kind of cash laying around the uh, the house. So uh, you can imagine, I, I was just telling Gordon in the break, I had to drive and empty out the max you could get on your checking. Then I got to get a credit card advance. Then I got to go to the line of credit and I come back with nine. Like, what did they ask for more? What am I going to say to them? They, they kind of had me. And yeah, that's exactly it. And they know it. They know, they it. know it. So TPS is encouraging people to uh, look for multiple estimates. Don't just find that the cheapest you know, deal you can find online and hire that mover. Um, because, you know, it's, it's, and usually by under Ontario law, the final bill can't be more than 10% of the estimate. So keep that in mind. Whatever estimate they're giving you can't exceed more so than 10% they charge of you, that. So they charge you a thousand bucks, 1100 is the most they can. That's it. But then again, like you said, hot day, you're waiting for your stuff. They've got it all in the truck and they say, give me 1500. Are you going to like, walk away and make a phone call and call the cops on them. They've got your stuff. They drive away and go, oh, we're leaving before the cops come. That's your stuff. And well, then it's TP gone. Well, TPS is also saying when you get your invoice, make sure it has their full contact information and <laughs> insurance information. So, I mean, test it out. Give them a call on their cell phone in front of them. Just make sure, oh, I just want to make sure we don't get lost. I don't, whatever it is. Because this is, these are horror stories. Having someone hold your stuff for, for ransom, yes. really. So these are just little things to keep in mind when you're moving because we all hate it. It's very stressful and you don't want to be stuck in a situation. Can I see like your this. driver's license that says Amethyst Jones? <laughs> Can I see your business card? <laughs> Amethyst Jones, vice president of of move you safely and cheaply.com. Like what? No, I'm not I'm not going to do that. Uh we got a minute here. You saw a story as well that was really interesting. The headline Toronto man uses Apple AirTags to Jeez. track down stolen Range Rover. Kevin, uh, who's the uh, reporter in the Toronto Star that had his car stolen? He could have used this. Before Kevin Donovan. It, yeah, Kevin he could have used this before okay, his car ended up so in the Far East. This guy, okay, he left his, uh, he lives in Midtown Toronto. He left, his car has been stolen uh, three times from his driveway, okay? And it's always the same car. He always gets it replaced by a Range Rover. It's a white Range Rover. And um, I would think, you know, get, it's like getting a, not <laughs> Just such a get nice a car. Corolla or something. Right? Get something yeah, yeah. else. Anyway, so the first time it happened, his kid's cell phones were in it. A bunch of stuff was in it, valuables, and they just took it right off the driveway. Second time it happened again. He usually started keeping his car in his garage, but the one time he left it overnight, his kids came running and said, Daddy, Daddy, the car is gone. Your car is gone. <laughs> so the third time, I guess he was fed up. So he took Apple, this I love, because this is what thieves usually do. He took Apple AirTags and he put them in his car. Mm. Uh, and it, it wasn't like a, he didn't leave. It wasn't like bait. Yeah. He didn't leave his car out there, but it just happened that if it were to happen again, he would have a sort of a backup. Um, so it got stolen again. Um, he used his Find My app and located there were three air tags that he put in the car. It's so smart because he spread them out, right? One in the glove box. He's yes. got one under the spare tire where you never look. You would never, never look for a tiny little tracking never. device like that. So he found yeah. his car. He located his Range Rover in Scarborough at a metal recycling plant. So he dropped his kids mm. off at school that day, went to the cycling plant, recycling plant, called the police. He didn't go in. Yeah. He called the police um, and he couldn't reach an officer. So he just showed up at a police station. Yeah. And they it, recovered his car and nine others. It's an amazing amazing story. I wanted to talk uh, to Erica Eiffel. She often contributes to uh, Toronto Today, and we always have a lively conversation with her. And um, 
there's some data there. There's some receipts. I think Erica would love to use the word receipts about what's happened with um, the the federal government and their policies about who gets a visa and who doesn't. It's pretty documented. I looked at some of the numbers and she put a lot of links in her story. You can read it on notinmycolor.com. But I wanted to ask her, first of all, whether the liberals have uh, an identity issue and um, it's becoming sort of, you know, if it's your policy, it kind of becomes who you are a little bit. Do they have an issue with being recognized in the black or brown community of not providing work visas or even travel visas for important things for they're favoring some countries over others? I asked her about that. You go back to Trudeau's blackface, and I know people don't pretend that that didn't happen, but it did. And so he, neither here nor the party, really get um, grilled on how well their policies work for Black Canadians. They made a pledge. They made a pledge after George Floyd and Trudeau took a knee. They made a pledge to do all of these things to combat anti-systemic racism, especially systemic anti-Blackness. And they haven't really fulfilled those. If you look at the Black Entrepreneurship Program, it's a failure. Even their policies are failures for Black people. So yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of evidence if that was actually the only thing that they did is C-27, then I wouldn't have a leg to stand on. But I have loads of evidence. Well, I'm looking at the, I'm glad you mentioned the African countries specifically. I mean, the, the, it's dropped for Middle East countries, and we could speculate as to as to the reasons why that is. So you're right to bring that up too. But when I look, and the data goes to 2018, so you know we're four years down the road, but I think we all understand 2020 hits with COVID, and yeah. there's a lot of stoppage. It, it, it's it's really tough to compare year upon year when you consider the last two and a half years. But you nailed it, and it's much higher, a much higher rate in South Africa. Than it is, which is obviously a lot more of a melting pot, if you will, of white and black. It always has been prior to apartheid ending, post-apartheid ending. It still is. It's way higher than Algeria. It's way higher than Nigeria. It's way higher than Cameroon. And it's an important question to ask why. Exactly. So we get to Bill C-27, which is um, a remake of what they call PIPA. Uh, partially, uh, which is, you know, your personal information, uh, data, that kind of thing. So it's basically the legislation that it is supposed to create the foundation for a privacy regime. So data collection, reporting data, um, Office of the Privacy Commissioner, their expanded powers, and stuff like that. However, in part three, you have um, an AI regulatory regime that the Minister of Innovation, Science and Economic Development um, wants to institute with, with good reason. AI can do great things and that's artificial intelligence can do great things, um, but it requires certain things and it requires um, a large diverse data set and you know, diverse scientists and coders and so on who are able to feed this AI with that kind of diverse, kind of, I hate to, I don't hate to say it, intersectional data. Because the problem with AI is that once it's fed the data that it's fed usually, it tends to replicate the same systemic biases 
that we have in our society, that we have in our economy, that we have in our institutions. Let me give you an example. So let's say you're a company and you want to um, sift through resumes, right? And you have an AI system do it. And you, your AI system has been fed information about successful candidates, right? But what if, all, what if most of your successful candidates are white? That AI system is going to leave out people without white sounding names. What if most of the successful candidates had been male? Your AI system is going to reject female candidates. Sure. And so if because the AI is so powerful and able to um, predict and to analyze at such rapid rates, what we're talking about is a full system. So this has the propensity to duplicate, replicate, and deepen and expand systemic discrimination at scale. Oh, here's the other thing. So AI systems, especially facial recognition, facial recognition is not good at um, identifying dark skin, non-binary people, trans people, and even sometimes women. So that's the other thing. Let me ask you about Canada Day, and you were in Ottawa during a good chunk of the Freedom Convoy weeks. I don't know what to expect Friday. I know don't expect nothing, but I also think I don't want to overblow something and and have have it have people not be ready for it. But I'd even ask you about Canada Day, Erica. Like you, you and I both have talked about living on both sides of the border. It it's different yet similar. When you see the flag, when you see Canada Day celebrations. How's it land? For, is it any different than it was six months? You, you're documenting a lot of things that we can do a lot better, and we should, not just because we can, but it's the right thing to do. So when you see a Maple Leaf, when you see somebody decked out, when you see July 1st in your home city, what's it do? I cross the street now, to be honest, because huh. that doesn't symbolize anything good for me anymore. It was doesn't. already sh- the flag. It was already really? shaky. Yeah, I. it was already shaky. When, mm-hmm. what, by the time the convoy happened. But, uh, you know, I look at, I look back at, you know, the reactions and, and the support for the convoy. And here we were basically under siege and nobody cared. And I, I, there's something that just does not sit right in terms of a country and unity of a country for me that innocent people could be under siege in this country and literally nobody would care. You know, that, that stings, it stings. And so when I think of Canada as a country, it's sure it's place. It's the place where I was born and grew up and had experiences and all that, but it just doesn't sit the same way. It's like partially because it's now it's like, when you see a U.S. flag, you're, you're like, Ooh, I'm not sure about that person. I, I feel the same way for anybody sporting a Canadian flag a little bit too hard. Yeah. It's I just, I, I just I, so want to stay I, away from them. Because last since we last talked, I went to Michigan for a few days with a friend of mine. And the first time I'd crossed the land border in almost three years. And oh, just you must have a passport. Right. Yeah, that helps. I think I've only got seven months left on it. So <laughs> you, you, you better uh, apply yesterday. I, I'm the okay. idiot that didn't get the 10 years. I was ch- I cheaped out and got the five years. That was a mistake, but who <laughs> Me knew? Me too. 
Yeah, big. We'll do the ten. I, I, I take oh, a twenty I'll do year the ten this time. Yes, Plus, exactly. then, then you look younger ten years from when you first got the passport. I do anyway. But exactly. it's one of those things where I felt great driving through there because I'm like I'm out of the gridlock. I'm out of. I felt free there, but then I turn. You know, I, I'm shutting down a lot of my radar, and I'm not thinking about people hurting in Michigan. I'm not thinking about you know problems politically and i'm not but but i'm also seeing people are just going about their business they're shopping they're at a concert they're at a tigers game they're wherever and they're trying to leave a lot of that behind too like Mm -hmm. at the last two years three years have i think it's been a lot for everybody everywhere and certainly no different on their side of the border and they may have more like i i know what you're saying about canada and sometimes i'm relieved we are who we are but i want it to be better i want it to be this is the point it's like a lot of people protest justin trudeau not because not because they are racist, not because they they don't want vaccines, or, but they're just they, it's a lot of the stuff you mentioned. They're really frustrated. They're like, I counted on someone like you and your party to do better and be better. That's and you're right. letting me down here. And I think that's what they're doing to the Ukrainians, too. Mm-hmm. And I think they they had this dog and pony show. And now because they don't want to put boots on the ground. Um, I, I, I don't know what's, what's left beyond some money, some, like they've done that. It's a conversation with Eric Eiffel, uh, that we recorded yesterday. I'm sorry about my audio for it. It's okay. I know you can understand it is not the kind of quality. I think the last time we had that happen where the audio is probably coming through the computer and not the, the, like, I've got a great microphone at home, but I, you know, I drive in every day, like wouldn't have it any other way, but the audio is not awesome. Her audio is better than mine, but you get the crux of the story. And I'm getting these texts about uh, AI not being able to recognize non-binary people, but it ends up being an issue. It is an issue right now. And um, artificial intelligence is going to be a really interesting thing going forward. Of course it is. Much of the conversation kind of always shifts to driverless vehicles and robots delivering stuff. But facial recognition is something that was more of a conversation before COVID and then COVID came and it was sort of, let's drop this and move on to figuring out what, you know, what just sideswiped us uh, in, in the midst of, a, of the start of a global pandemic. But the issue ends up being there. That's for sure. Uh, Dave Bradley has our four for four quiz on this Tuesday morning. Celebrity birthday today, born on this day, June 28th, way back 1971. Elon Musk. So big happy birthday to him. <laughs> and today's quiz all about Elon Musk. And it's okay. it's multiple choice, so it's going to be pretty easy. What do you get the guy that has yeah, 100 exactly. million Twitter followers? He's been to space. He just he buys social I mean, media companies for no particular reason. A $50 gift card at Starbucks doesn't seem <laughs> like it's from Mrs. Musk. Hey, I bought you a bottle of wine. It's uh, <laughs> not as good as what you have, but no. Anyway, uh, question number one. When Elon Musk was 12 years old... He invented a video game. What was that game called? Was it Blastar, Strange Days, or Guardians of the Galaxy? Gord. Uh, Let's go with Strange Days. Sheba? Blastar. And Greg? Strange Days. It is Blastar. It was a space fighting game. He sold it for 500 bucks to PC and Office Technology Magazine. 12 years old. Good cash for a 12-year-old. I think so. You don't get that lifeguarding in the city of Toronto. Yeah. Yeah, That's three weeks of pay (laughs) for that. You'd be 47 by the time you got that money. Yeah. (laughs) That started it all off. In uh, 2013, Elon Musk almost sold Tesla, but which company did he approach for the purchase, was it Microsoft, was it General Electric, or was it Google? Sheba. 
Oh, I'm going to guess and say Microsoft. All right, Greg. I think it's. I'm. I think you're trying to trick me because I'll think GE is too old school. So I'll say General Electric. All right, Gord. Let's go with the Google. Well, Gord's got it right. It is Google. Yeah, he almost sold it to Google for eleven billion dollars in 2013. At the eleventh wow. hour, sales started to pick up, so he scratched the deal. Good thing because in 2020, Tesla was worth about a hundred billion dollars. Yeah, wow. like he. I, I wonder how those does his email come back. I'm sorry, I won't go any higher <laughs> than ten point nine five million. Exactly. With a bunch of nines on the back end. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not any kind of master negotiator. I think my history proves it. But I wouldn't even know how to respond to those kind of I, numbers. Uh, how many briefcases do you need to show up <laughs> with, right? Uh, number three, the company that made Elon Musk rich, he co-founded in 1999. He later sold it to eBay. What was that company originally called? Was it S.com? X.com or 3.com. Greg? 3.com. All right. Gord? <laughs> you said it so Why are you laughing? No, you just said it so Oh, I'm really authoritarian. Like, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fake it till you make it. That's right. X.com. All right, Shiva? X.com. It was X.com. It later became PayPal. Oh. And that was the source of his initial fortune. It merged with another company in 2000, eventually being purchased by eBay for $1.5 billion. Musk himself made out with around $180 million from that deal. I was a real wow. eBay addict. Was anybody, did they feel like you were a real eBay addict for a couple years at least? I was. Not really. You never like, did? I used to sh- shop a little bit, but I didn't yes. really buy a whole lot Shiba, of stuff. you did a lot of transactions no, on it? Here and there. I don't know. It still made me nervous back then. I know, I it know. did. Yeah, until you could sort of track somebody. I think when I lived in the States, because shipping was a lot less. So the fact, once you get back to Canada, you were, my mom in Canada still sends so much stuff to my sister's garage in upstate New York. I don't know how I don't know how my sister <laughs> tolerates it. She just she has to bring a truckload of eBay purchases back to my mom. Big storage locker. Like I know she gave birth to you and raised you and pay and paid for and gave you sustenance and clothing, but <laughs> cut the cord. My daughter my sister should cut the cord at some point. Yeah. Last question. Elon Musk owns the famous submarine car, the Lotus Esprit that James Bond used in the movie The Spy Who Loved Me. He bought it at auction in twenty thirteen. It doesn't run and has no wheels, but how much did he pay for it? <laughs> Was it two hundred and thirty two thousand, four hundred and ninety seven thousand, or nine hundred and sixty eight thousand? Gord? Let's go with the high number, 968, because right. money's nothing to him. <laughs> Greg? I'll link in on that. I'll, I'll write, I'll piggyback Gore, because my answers have been crap. Um, 968. <laughs> Shiva? I'm going with the middle, 490-something thousand. It is actually 968, but oh. there's an interesting story behind this. The car was put in storage by the film company, mm. uh, prepaid for 10 years. At the end of the lease, no one claimed it, so it went to a locker auction. A guy bought it for 100 bucks. He then put it up on auction wow. and sold it for $968,000 nice. in 2013. Nice turnaround. Mm. Very yeah. good one. Uh, I got to ask a bonus question here because I think let, we should all weigh in on what we think she'll answer. Sheba, you're the only female of the four of us. You get an, you, you're get you a single single person. You get an email asking no. you out for lunch. Wait no. a minute. Wait a minute. You get, it's a multiple choice, I promise. To choose between <laughs> lunch with Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, or Elon Musk. Who's, who are you having lunch with? I'm having lunch with Bill, and I'm going to ask him, how the heck did you have this this agreement in your marriage where you would get to go away for a week? I would just yell at him about cheating on his wife. That's what I would do. I would what? Go Jeff Bill Bezos Gates. did the same thing. No, but Jeff, I don't know. I don't like Bill. I'd also want to pick Bill Gates' brain. After I finished yelling at him, I would want to pick his brain as to, I don't know how he got where he was. It's kind of a cool journey. Are we surprised she chose Bill Gates? 
I thought you might go Bezos. I really did. It, it sounds like no, it'd be a delightful lunch. Bezos is too much of a playboy. Is it? Bezos is like a... He's a party animal. He's like a wild... He's in like um, St. Bart's all the time. Well, that sounds lovely, doesn't it? With Rod Phillips. Atlantis, St. Bart's <laughs> with Rod Phillips. <laughs> okay, we should have put him in the mix, but I think he's happily married, so let's forget that. And Mark Zuckerberg. We could have included the oh, Zuck. Oh, yeah. Sheba, a I, little lunch I would, with the Zuck? I would, I would like lunch with the Zuck. I think he's got a cool story. I want to talk to him about going to court and all, everything, that all the depositions. And the, the what are the, the Winklevoss brothers? Yes, I want right? to just ask him about the social network, like what was fair and what wasn't fair. Just be careful I'm obsessed with, with, that movie. with any of them that they say you have to go to their car to get their wallet because they're going to stiff you That's with the right. bill. And then unfriend you on their on their social media platform. <laughs> There's a lot of guys I'm not. I'm not car guy. I don't know what to do. Sometimes I'll go under. If I'm under the hood, it's I'm I'm probably putting wiper fluid in, and I think I'm putting it in the right place. I try not to touch anything else. I'm not. Um, so I'm not car guy. I'm not home rental guy. But I am camp guy. I went to camp overnight for three years between '87 and '89. My parents said that's the summer before you get your driver's license, and you're driving your parents crazy. We lived out in the country, so I couldn't take. Uh, public transit. Stephen Del Duca was nowhere to be found with Buck a ride uh, uh, for me out in the country in 1987. I could have used it, but uh, they said enough's enough. You're driving us all crazy. Get get out and get out right now. But they gave me a good option to go to Camp Manitou in Perry Sound, and it changed my life. I met the uh, the guy that became the best man at my wedding. I they had a 50 watt radio station there. I went up there primarily to play four hours of tennis a day, but I learned radio. I met girls, I DJ dances, I played baseball, I I loved it. I loved every second of it, and I would have kept going back. I wish I'd gone earlier, and I can't recommend it enough. And I know um, some people feel like their kid may have missed a window with uh, COVID in 2020, and camps were really limited in 2021, but uh, I can't recommend it enough. Jenny Wyatt is kind enough to join us, Director of Camp Programs at Appleby College, and she's on the line with us now. Jenny, it is great. Were you camp girl? Like I was camp guy. Did you did you have an experience with it as a as a kid or as a teenager? Good morning, Greg. And yes, thanks for having me. <laughs> I am a camp girl through and through. Absolutely. I went to girl guy camp growing up. And yeah, it is my passion. And I feel like I have my dream job right now at Appleby being the camp director here, honestly. A hundred percent. Now it, it does it does strike me in retrospect. At some point in time, someone thought it's a good idea for 17-year-old me plus another counselor to take care of eight <laughs> eight-year-olds. <laughs> including two twins and twins are I have no idea those parents came up on parent day and I just wanted to hide I'm like I'm responsible for your son like 24 7 I felt but I did it I like somehow you get through it and and it, it makes you a better person and more mature and the lessons you learn it's amazing amazing that is true honestly the, the lessons our staff learn but our campers and it is just so needed this summer after everything that everyone's been through the last couple of years camp is needed and kids need the opportunity to play but you're right staff it teaches a lot of Great skills for our staff team, and it, it is so needed for them as well. So I, I see the phrase staffing crunch. Tell us what's real and what's mm-hmm. not real about what you're facing right now, trying to find staff, trying to find counselors in for summer of 2022. Yeah, thank you. It, it is it's definitely been a challenge in our industry, as in, I'd say, I mean, from what I hear on the news and from everything, that it is a, you know, a shortage everywhere uh, currently. And yeah, we definitely have had our share of challenges. I've been doing interviews. I've probably done about 400 interviews and uh, we hire about 150 staff every summer. And there's been some challenges and we've had to you know repost, but do some creative solutions as far as just um, limiting some of the numbers, unfortunately, in our camp programs due to the um, staffing limits. But we've done some creative scheduling and some uh, staff 
training for our camp programs as well. So that staff can work maybe some of the other programs that they wouldn't necessarily have as their first choice. But yeah, we're, we're making it work and we have hundreds of campers uh, joining us for the summer. And we're, yeah, we're really excited. That's amazing to hear. But, but the toughest, probably the toughest summer you've had filling spots that you've, you uh, can remember. Absolutely. Yeah. Pre, Pre-COVID times, you know, where I would have a couple dozen applicants for a role where now we maybe have a handful, you know, so it, it is, it's definitely different times and it is challenging, but I'm always blown away at the resumes that come across my desk every year of those folks that are really wanting to make a difference in children's lives and, and the, the people that want to, yeah, share their passion, whatever, whether it's robotics, cake decorating and baking, fashion design, uh, photography, arts or sports, you know, there are some amazing staff that do want to join us and, and help pass that passion on to the campers. I noticed, yeah, you do some arts and media stuff. I want to give your place a great plug so you can go to appleby.on.ca slash our community and find out a lot more about it. Is some oh, of, you. Jenny, is some of what the issue is, uh, is not just, you know, kids may, uh, counselors may be, um, you know, hard to find, but is some of it keeping up? I think about that with, I know the city's having a tough time finding lifeguards. Is some of it just keeping up with the requirements and the badges mm. and, and even for uh, swimming or, or canoeing, like stuff where you might have to have your, your CPR even, is some, of that, is some of that a factor in, in finding the right people to fill the right spots? Thank you. Yeah. And it, it may be, uh, I know, yeah, lifeguards for sure are always a challenge uh, to find, especially in the last couple of years, just with the, um, yeah, with some courses not being run or being canceled or being full. Uh, we are really lucky that we have had, yeah, I mean, we require minimum every staff member that works with us has to have their criminal record check, including a vulnerable sector screening, as well as their standard first aid and CPR certification. So uh, all of our staff, have that and it is something that's written on the job description so that may be a deterrent for some i'm not sure i can't speak to those yeah but it is something that we we require for all of our staff um everybody that comes into contact with our campers so it may be um it's that's a good question greg i'm not i'm not sure as far as yeah if it it is tricky Mm. but there are a lot of great organizations that offer the certification and a lot of them due to the pandemic had to turn into that kind of hybrid model where there was half online and then half in person Mm. and that is something that we require for all of our staff as well. So the certifications can be tricky to get, but you know, we work together and we have offered some of them through Appleby as well to help try and get those certifications up for all of our team. Jenny White's kind of the joint director of camp programs at Appleby College. Um, what's the biggest question parents are asking? And do you still, I mean, it's inevitable to find a hundred parents out of a hundred and they all agree on COVID and policy and this and that, like what's the biggest question you get asked maybe in that realm? Hmm. That is a good question as well. I, I mean, I think it's different now than it was a few months ago. So a few mm-hmm. months ago and when, when things were, yeah, when there was more questions out there and when it was a bit different than a lot of the questions were, yeah, regarding our, our staff, are we asking that all of our staff are vaccinated? Will masks be mandatory in camp programs? And then that was, you know, something that through the school system and through all of our campers that are in classes currently, you know, the classroom climate has changed in schools as well in the last few days of uh, school coming up, but you know, masks are optional. And so I know that there are some parents and folks that are asking their kids to wear masks. We do have some campers that choose to wear masks. It is sure. optional at camp. Uh, it's optional for our staff team as well right now. So if they choose to wear masks, then they, then we will offer the PPE for them. Uh, but I'd say a few months ago, it was a lot of questions regarding masks and regarding vaccinations. Uh, now it's just a question of is there spots for my children? And we are uh, full in a lot of our camps. So that's the 
probably one of the most commonly asked questions that we're getting right now is please tell me you have spots for my children. Uh, because yeah, yeah, parents and guardians are very much looking for, yeah, uh, an opportunity for their kids to join in camp. And we are full in a lot of our camps. And I know a lot of our other great local mm. camps there are also unfortunately full. So if, unless you were on the ball and booked, you know, a few months ago, some of our camps are full. So that's our probably most commonly asked question right now is please tell me you have space for my child in your camp. And we have, pretty long wait lists in some of our programs. So yeah, I'd say that's the most commonly asked question right now is please tell me you have some space. Yeah, Jenny, I know, I know it's probably a violation of privacy, but I wish I could hear the desperation of the parents. It sounded a lot like my parents (laughs) in two weeks in the summer of 1987. They're like, we'll do anything and we'll pay any price. Get this 15 year old boy out of our home (laughs) ASAP. Yep. That is, that is exactly. (laughs) Yeah. There's some very desperate, like, please, anything I'll put, you know, there's, I just spoke to a dad yesterday. You know, this isn't necessarily my son's first choice for camp, but <laughs> if there's a spot, we'll take it. He'd really love to be in this camp. And I said, okay, well, unfortunately that one is full, but yeah, their parents are desperate and, and yeah, just looking for care for their kids and looking for great opportunities for them to play this summer. I don't think they'll ever regret going. Uh, it's uh, from Appleby College, Jenny Wyatt, director of camp programs. Let's let us check in with you in a few weeks, see how the summer's going. We'd rather call you than, uh, than anybody else. Thanks for the time today. <laughs> Thanks so much, Greg. Have a great rest of your day. You bet. I appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to Toronto Today. We're back with a live show tomorrow between 5.30 and 9 o'clock on the Radio Player Canada app, or you can find us at 640toronto.com. Always appreciate you listening. Share what we're doing with others. If you are able to, we'd greatly, greatly appreciate it.